You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey, Served Up community, Julie here. I am so excited to introduce you to my dear friend, Allegra Angelo. Allegra was one of my first customers when I'd sold fine Italian wine in Miami over 13 years ago. Allegra is not only an advanced sommelier, she is an inspiring professional that brings the experience and joy of wine through very untraditional ways. Think wine paired with music, paired with laughter, always out of the box, but with the best juice. As we continue to celebrate Women's History Month, I am personally grateful to have a friend like Allegra who taught me everything I didn't know about wine. Now sit back, grab your favorite dry Riesling and get inspired. Allegra, welcome to Served Up. Julie and I are really excited to have you on our show today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and just have a natural, fun conversation. So thanks for having me. Yes, Allegra, I am so excited to have you on and for you to meet Bridget um, because we've been friends for so long. And I like to tell people, just like I was introducing you at Sobe Wine and Food Festival, you're you're the first person that taught me everything that I don't know about wine. And, <laughs> and I want everybody to get to know you. Well, I was just lying to you. I was making stuff up. So Oh, well, that's great because I was making stuff up based on what I heard from you so that I could go sell the bottle to the next place. Oh, uh, yeah, that's what you told me. I think that's such a funny story. It gave me a warm and fuzzy feeling uh, that you would take our little one-liners and use them on the next person. But uh, yeah, that makes me feel warm and fuzzy. I think we kind of dove into the world of wine together as, you know, starting out in Miami. And we, I came here in 06, but I think we met in 07 or right after that, right? Yeah, I think um I think I came down to Miami, yeah, in 07. Yeah, that's crazy. It was such a different landscape. Now it's like Legoland. It's nuts. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks now for having it's me like on. I'm excited. Legoland. That's so funny. It is. It's like when I moved back, because I had like a brief, I call it a hiatus. It wasn't a hiatus, but I moved to San Francisco in 2014. I just kind of needed a new city, Miami. I felt like I don't know. I was kind of exhausted with things I was doing here. And, and then when I moved back in the fall of 18, I was like, oh my God, what's this building? What's that building? What's that? Like, it was like a chia pet that just sprouted. It was really cool because I feel like we were working in the business, you know, starting in 06, 07, always like our group of Psalms and buyers, like promoting the message of fine wine. And now it's like, especially after, after the little burst of, you know, the bump of people moving here after COVID, I feel like Miami's just kind of blossomed, getting into the direction of this place where more fine wine and delicious wines. And I don't know, I feel like we had a very small, 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 small part to do with that. 
I'll take it. I'll take that credit. Thank you. <laughs> at least for the Italian side. Yeah, you were the first person to taste me. We were talking about that wine the other day. Remember the Roberto Scubla Pomodez? Yes. Now I remember Scubla. from Frilly, like Frilano, So Shard. I don't know the exact wine. I'm probably saying the wrong groups, but um, that was like one of my first that I was like, wow, fruity wine can be so intense and big. And like, I love selling that wine. Oh my God. I love selling that wine. That was fun. Well, you know, what's funny is that, uh, Scubla, because, you know, working for the Italian importer distributor that I did work for Vinifra, I'll say it, um, the way their business model was, is to buy up complete vintages, right. Of their, mm-hmm their partner suppliers, but everything's kind of on a handshake. So if a supplier leaves um, or a winery is no longer working through them, we still have vintages. So I think Scuba was one of those where they weren't an active producer, but we had a lot of um, their amazing wine from prior vintages. That's why when we were talking about it, I was like really trying to rack my head. Um, I remember that was my first like realizing Italian white wine could be this serious and awesome. And um, I remember being so excited to sell it as a song. I was like, oh, this, we have this really cool white. It's $75. It's from Frilly. It's, um, but yeah, I remember you, I think of that wine and I think of you, it like gives me a good feeling. I haven't seen, I haven't, I don't know where the wines are now or if they're even in the state, but yeah, it brings back a lot of good memories. Yeah, those Friuli whites. Yeah, it's like when you're starting out as a song, you're tasting these grapes for the first time. And I, you you remember Mishi's, the place I started. And when it opened in 06, I was there almost six years. And that place was so special because that's the first time I had like a white Bordeaux. The first time I had a Barolo with age. I remember when Laura de Pasquale from Southern came in and she, like this was in the summer of 06 and she brought me like a Fiano and I was like, oh my God, I've never had, that was the first time I had a Fiano. And um, like, I still remember all those labels and those are all my like first time I tasted all these cool grapes. It was, I don't know, a special, a special time in, um, in Miami and, and for me as a, a Psalm, as like a young Psalm that doesn't know anything. I learned, I, for three years, I learned I was doing inventory the wrong way. I was like, oh my God, I've been doing it all backwards and not deducting. And I was like, oh my God, I've been doing inventory wrong for three years. Like that was like a big aha moment, which George from Scar, um, who was at Casa Tua and Scarpetta taught me. I was like, oh my God, I've been, I haven't been doing inventory right every year with my cost of goods. And oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> and I remember telling David, and I think telling D- David, Michelle's, you know, partner and husband and like, oh, I think I've been doing this wrong for, you know, and feeling so bad. And I remember the first time I dropped a case of wine and all these bottles broke and it was all this expensive stuff. And I almost cried. I was like, oh my God, I just broke like a thousand dollars worth of wine oh. in the elevator. I don't know if you remember, but Mishi's was this little place on 69th and Biscayne, but we stored all our wine across the, street. across the street. Yes. In an office on the second floor. And so during when we would get really busy, I would move all the stuff on a dolly. I probably went through 25 dollies in my history there. 
which I never understood. The dollies would always get flat tires. I'm like, what the, is this like meant to be? People just make dollies with bad tires. I don't know. Cause my dollies would always break, but I would always call them the dolly, like my best friend. Cause I would move the line from, from our office every day. And then during service on like Saturday nights, and we were so busy. I was in the shits. It was, I was, I was probably opening like 70 bottles of wine. I would run back and forth to the office to go get more wine. I'd like sprint and like, it was so ridiculous. Like, I don't know. I think about those times and I just really miss them. Like I loved being a, I love being in the business there. I love being a Psalm there. I love meeting. We had like the best of the best. Like Miami was a small, like super small. So any big chef that was in town, any big industry person would always come there for a meal. And I got to wait on so many cool people. Like Daniel Ballou, Daniel Hong, Elizabeth Faulkner. I mean, I just got to wait on like the coolest people. That's amazing, Allegra. You know, you've had such an incredible career. It's just the beginning, right? I mean, you have such big things to come. Can you take us back to the very beginnings and what really inspired you to get into the beverage industry, specifically around wine? You know, when when was that? When did that aha moment come to you like, damn, I need to be in the wine world. Where'd you get that, that thirst for it? Oh my God. I always think I'm definitely a late bloomer, a late mature and everything I do. Like I always lose like the last person to have their first kiss, the last person to have sex. Like, I'm just like, I've always been that type of person because I growing up, I was very shy, very, like, I didn't have a lot of friends. I was just, and I never ever drank wine until I was like 22, which is crazy. But I remember asking my mom, and I think it comes from this moment. I was laying down with her. I think I must've been 10 watching a movie. And I was like, mom, what is it like to be drunk? And she was like, it is awful. It makes you so sick. And I think that stuck with me. And I never wanted to, I was never intrigued by wine ever until I went to culinary school, but I always worked in hospitality. You know, I grew up in the New Haven area in Connecticut and it's, you know, such a mix of people. And, you know, I went to like a a pretty snooty prep school, which I actually love called Hopkins Day School. It's in New Haven. I remember I was like 15, like, you know, most kids are going off to these like cool summer programs. They're in Vermont making maple syrup or they're, you know, they're doing like, they're doing something like super cool. And I was like, I remember asking my dad at the time, I'm like, can I apply Oh, I wanted to apply to like some, some summer program where you go like whitewater rafting in Colorado. And then you, and he was like, no, you need to get a job this summer. Like I'm not paid, you know, like I'm not paid for this, you know, experience to go find yourself. So my first job, and I always say this, it really was my first job in hospitality. I worked at Dunkin' Donuts. Um, which is kind of embarrassing. That's why I'm a huge Dunkin' Donuts lover. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I love Dunkin' Donuts. I have no, yes. they um, don't, they don't sell I'm a liquor. Huge fan. I can't wait for <laughs> butter pecan flavor to come back this summer for iced coffee. I don't understand why it's seasonal, that flavor. I'm like, why did you substitute it with Irish cream? But, um, so my first job was at, in the summer I worked at Dunkin' Donuts and I was so embarrassed that I purposely worked at one, like one town, two towns away from New Haven, because I was worried that like, I'm like, oh my God, what if like people see me here working? You know, I felt I don't know. I felt embarrassed about it, but I actually loved it. Like I got along with all the people there. I did like the drive-through window and that was kind of my first dip into like the hospitality world. 
And then I was like a busboy at a country club the next summer where my cousin would do the golf carts. And she's like, oh, I got, I'll get you into the restaurant as like a bus person. And, you know, I just got to serve these like over the top ice cream sundaes with sprinkles. And I thought it was like so cool. And I got to put like hot, the cooks would let me put like the caramel and the hot fudge in the kitchen. And, you know, I don't know. I just remember being obsessed with kind of like that with, with hospitality, the hospitality business. I would go home from breaks on school. and I should have been doing a senior project and I would go home and watch like ready, set, cook on the food network. And, you know, I was just like, and that's when the food network was like, remember like on mm-hmm. Molto Mario and ready, set, cook. And like, I would sneak home during school and go home and watch like the food network when I should have been like doing something way more, you know, way more serious. <laughs> like, like my friends are taking, you know, flute lessons and playing squash at Yale. And, you know, and I'm like watching ready, set, cook, like when I should be in class. So I don't know. I was always kind of fascinated with the hospitality sphere and not really into beverage until, again, in college, I went to school at Emory in Atlanta because I just wanted to just go somewhere warm. And it was one of six schools that I, you know, picked out that was in a warm climate. So I ended up going there undergrad. And there in Atlanta, I worked at this amazing restaurant called Watershed. Um, Mm -hmm. Scott Peacock, Peacock was the chef at the time. And we had fried chicken. We were the first restaurant in the country to do like big fried chicken nights, fried chicken Tuesday nights. And I ran the door. I was like the host retail clerk. They had a little retail shop. And I just loved it. I would, instead of studying and doing the work I was supposed to be doing, I would just, I, I would go to work instead. Like I just really loved, I don't know. I think the energy of restaurants and hospitality, but never had one sip of wine. And I think maybe once on my 21st birthday, my cousin made me have like, no, I probably was like vodka or tequila, something just, I don't know. Never drank wine in college. Was always the designated driver. Um, If I would go out, I would have like 12 espressos or, you know, I just, and I, I don't know. I never, never, it never hit me that wine was a thing, I guess. I just saw hospitality for something else. And I never thought wine or wine business or some or importer distributor. Like I was just, that was so alien to me. I didn't know those terms or that world. So I thought I really wanted to be a chef. I was like, I love flavors. I'm a flavor nerd. I think I want to go to culinary school and be a chef. You know, I had seen front, you know, restaurants from the front of the house, but I was like, I think it, you know, I, I really want to, this might be my calling. I don't know. You don't, you know, people that really know what they want to do when they're like 16, 17, 18, I admire that. I'm just kind of like throwing darts against the board. Like, yeah, do I want to be, I was doing everything. I was like taking grad classes in the public health school thinking, well, maybe I'll go into public health. I was taking like an art class, like, you know, history of art in the 19th century. I was like, maybe I'll be like an art curator. I was just kind of like, I don't, I didn't know idea what I wanted to do, but I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be a good chef. Maybe, maybe this will be for me. And so I went to culinary school, um, culinary Institute of America in, when was that? So the fall of 2003. And that was really my first peek into wine where we had to take a wine class. Mm. Um, it was Mr. Weiss was my teacher, Michael Weiss. And I think he is still there. It was really intense. And I had this apprehension with all like the cooking exams and the cooking tests. And I didn't love the thrill of working on the line. Like some of my friends did, I like almost like cringed. I was like, I don't really like this. And then it was the wine class that was a little more like studious, nerdy, like I just loved it. And that was my first 
glimpse into like, oh, this is can actually be a profession. You can actually do this. So I don't know. I think the Culinary Institute taught me that and I'm forever grateful. And I I just we had such a great class I was with. I was with such a great group of people. And that was my first peek into beverage. And you know, I was interning at Jean George on the weekends, actually in the pastry department. And it was there at Jean George where then I saw that high level of like some wine service where the beverage director at the time was um, a man named Christo, amazing guy. And that was the first time I would, my pastry station was right by, right by like where he would bring his glasses and clear them and we would talk. And, you know, I, I saw once he had this like really nice wide burgundy glass and I guess someone cleared it and threw it away. He's like, Oh my God, who took my glass? Who threw away my glass? Where's my wine? And I was like, oh my God, what is, what is that? What is he drinking? Why is he so excited about it? So I always credit him too. I would pick his brain a little bit with perking my interest in the wine world. So um, sorry, that's a long story. No. Oh my God. I love that. I've, I've always known bits and pieces of your journey, but this is, it's my favorite part on Served Up to like really hear it all come together. And I could just totally see like, you know, when, as you're going through your journey, I'm like, it's because you're creative. It's because you need to be front of the house. You can't be back of the house, you know, and, and just because I know you now, like it totally makes sense why your journey went to wine, right? Just from how I know you and and how you've got this um this energy about you, you're, you're very methodical and scientific. Like you understand, you know, all the nuances of wine and the flavors. And I think having that culinary background really like brings it all together. So while you were in interning and uh, Christo kind of introduced you, or you, you got to see what he was doing with wine as you were being an intern as a pastry chef, what year was that? And then what brought you down to Miami? Yeah, so that was 2004 into five. I was there almost two years. And I did pastry just because I had a friend, Jason Waugh, who I think is still with Andrew Carmelini Group. He's an amazing chef. And he was interning as a, in the savory line. And he goes, hey, you know, I was still trying to figure out maybe I'll dapple in pastry. He's like, hey, you should intern here as in the pastry department if you want to learn about pastry. and." I would take the train down every weekend. And then after um, I graduated, I got offered a job and I'm so grateful for that experience. That was like, you know, seeing something at super high level when you're working. That's what we just got three Michelin stars when I was there. I think and that was when the Michelin guy just came out. Mike Lewis was the, the sous chef, the chef there at the time. He opened up KYU, Zuma. And I mean, I met like so many, I mean, seeing an operation at that high level I mean, I got screened at, oh my God, you know, I it was just, it was so invigorating, you know, and we'd all hang out afterwards at the Coliseum bar and God, that experience was like so invigorating. But at the end of it, I was like, okay, wait, crap. I don't want to be a pastry. Maybe I want to cook. I, I don't want to cook. I, I can't deal with the pressure of being on the line. Maybe I want to be a pastry cook. Oh wait, I don't want to be a pastry cook because it is so measured. I remember making the macaroons. It's like, oh my God, like a three, you know, a two day process and weighing out everything. And, you know, it's interesting because selling, curating wine and selling wine is kind of the instant gratification. Like, I think I'm kind of on the cheating scale of, of the spectrum in a sense, because 
I love cooking. I love what I'm doing. I don't like pastry as much, right? That's more methodical, more thought out. I've done a few winemaking internships. I hate it. I could never be a winemaker. And winemaking is the opposite end of the extreme, right? Where it's like years and years and years and years. I'm like, I love this. It's like you're a curator or you're like a gardener or a curator and you get more of an instant and everything's fast, 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 where I don't have the patience and the discipline. I don't think to be a pastry cook or never a winemaker. That's why I appreciate winemakers so much. 20 years and sometimes you get your best wine and then one harvest is over and you got to wait. And I mean, it's just, I have so much respect for that side of the business, but it wasn't, I was kind of like, Oh, what do I want to Okay, Now I don't want to be a pastry cook, but I think I'm into wine. I'm confused. I love New York, but I don't love it as much as everyone else loves it. But I always love writing and I still do it. And I applied for a couple writing internships didn't get it, didn't get it, didn't get it, applied for something at Food and Wine, didn't get it, um, applied to be like Jeffrey Steingarten's writing assistant or, I don't know, didn't get it, didn't get it. And I was like, shit, like, hey, uh, what am I, you know, it's getting that like first new job where you're like, I want to do something different in hospitality. I'm just kind of, I don't know. I'm at this like, this crossroads, like I want to business, but I don't really know what I do. And I know there's a wine world that seems really cool and interesting, but you know, I was definitely at a low where I don't know. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go to Miami for a week or two, think about it, stay with my sister and then come back to New York and figure it out. So it was just when I was before I booked my ticket, I think Michelle Bernstein had just been on Iron Chef. It was like a big thing when she beat Bobby Flay and I had seen the episode. I was like, Oh my God, she's so what a badass. She's so great. And I happened to be on the plane ride down. It was February of 2006. I I was looking up, I was just looking up jobs in Miami on Craigslist. When Craigslist was like, remember when Craigslist was ever like, it still is, I think, but now it's like almost kind of creepy, but Craigslist was like how you found jobs. And it was like, I'm on the plane. I actually bought a wine book. I'm like, well, maybe I'll take my level one exam. And I'm studying some wine maps. And I'm like, you know, maybe I'll be a server somewhere. And I read on Craigslist that Michelle was opening a new restaurant in Miami. I went in. They opened on February 23rd, 2006. I went in. I had an interview the day that they opened. I was waiting at Dunkin' Donuts, which used to be in the neighborhood because I got there early. It's not there anymore. And I met David and Michelle that morning, the day they opened and they had a server position. And I was just like, I think I want to learn more about wine. And I don't know, I, I brought my resume and I, I went to work on Tuesday and I stayed and they were, it was great because they, at the time had worked, you know, were at the Mandarin and, you know, had to play by those rules. And this was the first time they're kind of doing their own project. And, you know, it was just had that soul of a mom and pop restaurant and they were bringing in really cool wines and um, they didn't really have a wine person. So I was like the server wine person. And yeah, I would go to their house, pick up the wines, bring them to the restaurant because they were storing everything in their living room before we got the office. (laughs) So it was like just a perfect opportunity to like work on my serving skills, be a server, but there was no one to manage the wine program. So I was like, I'll just do it. Like I'll do it. And I just did it, which you know, I don't, I think the mentality is so much changed in hospitality, but back in the day, you would just do things. You'd show up early. It's like, I'm not going to sue anyone. And, 
you did it because, you know, all those free, the, the stages that you did for free. And I know so much has changed and there's, you know, um, in, in good ways, but you know, I just did it to, I show up early every day and I was like, I'll help with everything. And just, just because I wanted to learn. So for me, that was my real like jumping ground. And I'm so grateful for them because they kind of took me under their wings and, and taught me everything about hospitality. And I think everything I know about service and hospitality, I just saw how classy they were, how gracious they were. They weren't afraid to say no, you know, they weren't pushovers, but they were like, they just did to me everything right. You know, they just treated people so kindly. And, you know, even when they would come in, just the two of them, they would clock out, sit at the bar and have dinner. They would like tip the bartender like 50 bucks. You know, they were just really classy people and were selling crazy stuff like fun wines. No one was pouring Sylvaner by the glass. And the first dry Tokai that came on the market, we were pouring that by the glass in 06. And, you know, it kind of makes me like smile a bit and, you know, be like, we're pouring this by the glass now. And I'm like, we poured that at Mishi's back in 2006. You know, we did the first, we did a sherry luncheon in 2006. You know, we just did, I thought we were very ahead of the time you know, because it was, they had the ability to be like, this is our place. We want to do whatever we want. And they did. And they were super successful. And I, it, I don't know, it taught me a lot about, they had a clear idea of who they wanted to be and what they wanted to do. And that I think made them successful, which I admire. And we drank a lot of good wine. I, I just miss those days where you're small, you're opening at the end of service. We're sitting at the bar, we open up a new bottle. We're just hanging out. And it was just this energy. I think it's for surely the favorite place I've ever worked besides Vina, but obviously, but I, it was so special to me. I almost cry when I think about it. It gets me like, you know, very special um, place to be a Psalm, I think for me for six years or so. It definitely was a special place. Um, That's how you and I met. And, and I'm trying to think of who it was that, sent me over to, to go see you. Do you remember who it was? Oh, no. From when? Oh, God. The first day that I came to see you. Daniel Terrell? No. It wasn't Daniel because Daniel came in the picture later um, at Fratelli Leon because remember he was always spirits and then he started getting into wine when he was over there. I think it was Sergio Caceres. Oh at the my Satai. God, I love him. I, I love him too. Love, I haven't talked I'm to him in forever. I love him. He's like he, working for Amon. I don't know where he is now. Yes, like in Hawaii. Or and then he moved like, to another property. I, oh my God. I love, I love him, him too. I think, I think what it was is like, I had all these great wines and I was just like figuring it out, right? Like just started at Vinifra. Don't know anybody. Also fairly new to Miami. Um, I went to go show him a bunch of stuff. He tasted it and he's like, look, I'm not going to be able to buy anything right now, but you need to go see my friend Allegra. Like she'd really like these wines. And I was like, really, will she see me? And he's like, just go see her. And I'm like, okay. You know, and, and at that time you just have to like suck it up and, and don't be shy because I've showed up places and just got turned down. Like, goodbye, we're not interested. And you leave. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go over there. And I remember going in and Michelle was there, Michelle Bernstein. And I was like, hi, I'm here to see Allegra. And she's like, oh, she's not here now. And I'm like, oh, of course, you know, like, it's not going to be here. And she's like, hold on. And I remember she called you and was like, I've got this adorable girl 
here with some wine to come see you. And I was like, oh my God, that's so sweet. And you came and we just hit it off right away. But you were like, appreciated the white wine so much more than anything. So I always knew if I had like a Fiano Diavolino yeah. or like. Oh, you said Memmer Pietro Cuba? Oh, Pietro Cuba. Yes. Oh, the Greco. That's Yeah, the Greco, oh, the Greco, the Tufo, all that stuff. So it was so oh. great because we were able to, um, to really, you know, build our friendship. You were always open to looking at what I had and Remember all those different like wine tastings and events that we would do that just were incredible. I mean, I think you were just such a natural at it. And I mean, Bridget, when we would talk about like, you would see reviews for Mishis. And of course, you know, famous chef, amazing food. There were always great reviews, but like every other review would be, and Allegra, their sommelier is so oh, wonderful. God. So, I mean, like, you were like all in the reviews, you know? Um, how did you get so comfortable? Did it just come naturally to you well, to like no, talk about I'm it? like, it's so funny because every time I get on the floor or do an event, I've probably done 1,500 events. I still get so nervous. Like, I am a very shy person. And I think that's just a, a tip of the hat to David and Michelle. They made me feel like so welcome. They made me feel part of their family. We know each other's, I mean, I've been to, you know, we're just so close and they made me feel, I don't know. They just made me feel welcome. They trusted me. They knew I was into it. I was passionate. Like, and you just know when you have new people come on your team, they're into it or they're not into it. And you know, you have to be a little crazy to be into it, especially on this side, when you're operating like shops or bars or restaurants, you have to be a little cuckoo. And Bernice, my good friend, who now works for John Frazier in New York, she's been, oh God, with him for seven years or eight years. And she was Michelle's right hand. And we just all connected and we're still all so close to this day. You know, because I am not a, like, I'm like, I need to be a chef. I need to be a cook. Like, I am more like producer, director. Like, I'm not, I don't like attention. I don't like people you know, there's some songs. I remember when I was like taking my master's service exam, because it took me four times to pass it. Like my friends would just be like, blah, blah, blah. Oh, the Merceau 18 is ringing so great. And I'm like, you know, that's not you. That's not what you say. Like, are you, you know, it was so hard for me to pass that portion of the MS exam because, and I passed the tasting, I passed the theory twice. And I was like, I, it was so hard for me to pass the service because people that did it could just put, it was amazing. They could put on this just character. And for me, I was just a little more awkward. And I, I just like, look at these people. I'm like, what, that's that, you know, and I would constantly undersell people, not undersell, but, you know, be honest with people. Like there's certain things you have on your list that you don't like, or they're oxidized or they're too old or they're too, it's just the nature of the business, you know? And I think just being honest with people, I always tell my staff, never lie. Don't, if you haven't had something, make up your educated guess based on the producer, if you know the producer. If you don't like something, it's really hard to fake it. Like I cannot, I, for example, I took in this Pony Monroche to our wine store like two months ago. I really needed a Pony Monroche to sell for like between 80 and a hundred bucks. And I was tasted it and I was like, it's not bad, but I'm like, it's not great. So I can't get it returned. I can't get it picked up. So what do you like people ask me? Like, I personally, I don't really like it. So, you know, someone else might love it, but 
I think being honest is just, you know, and being empathetic and really feeling I've done everything you can. I've done, I've made every mistake. I spilled one time. Oh my God, this poor woman. I was carrying a steak frite plate and it had a little ramekin of opoff sauce and a little ramekin of Bernays. And someone hit my arm. I dropped the ramekin went bounce, bounce, bounce up in the air, cracked on the floor, Bernays all over her jacket. And then it squirted in her eyeball. And she was like, oh my God. Like, I mean, that was like, I felt so bad. One time I spilled wine on a person. Again, you're in like, and I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'll pay, I'll pay for the dry cleaning. You know, you feel horrible. And like, she goes, she said to me, just so you know, this is the first time I'm meeting my future in-laws or something like that. I was like, oh my God, I'm the worst. Oh my God. But I think like being, I don't know, trying, I feel, I feel awful. Like my guests are mean the world to me. My customers mean the world to me. So it's like, you feel bad when people, I do like these people are going out to dinner. They're spending money, whether it's $50 or a thousand dollars or a bite at the bar. It's like, I truly feel bad if they don't have a good experience or they feel cheated or they feel wronged or they feel, God, it makes me feel horrible. Those two moments. I remember the woman spilling the wine on that woman's coat and the Bernays going into the woman's eyeball. It was like so embarrassing. I had a similar situation with a cocktail that I was shaking at the Bellagio (laughs) as part of their opening team and blueberries went all over a woman's gown and all over her face before she went to the O show. It was a gown. This was in like 1999. So I had to pay for her dry cleaning out of my tips. It was horrible. So I get it. I get it. It's so, well, that's why I always say the importance of using a serviette. I will never pour wine without a serviette, a folded napkin. I tell my staff that, like, think of it as your baseball glove. Like if you ran out and were playing center field and didn't have a glove, you'd feel yeah. naked. It's the same thing with a serviette. Like, obviously you need to wipe your drip, the drips on the neck of the bottle, but also it protects you. If someone hits you or hits you or swings, you, you cover the bottle and you save. It's just safety. I feel when I'm like, I think I've said in the shits probably six times already. I, I apologize. But when I'm in the shits and I don't have a serviette and I need to pour a wine, I feel like I'm just, it's bad karma. And I'm going to get like hit by a, like, I feel like, oh my God, something bad's going to happen to me. I just poured wine without a serviette. Like I feel, but that's the important, I think of like, you know, wine service, like having just proper safe wine service. When I worked in San Francisco at AQ, New Year's Eve, running around, running around, running around. Our cellar was downstairs. So, oh my God, run up and down the stairs. By the way, being a psalm, if you hustle, is great, great exercise. And I knew the cooler had been left open. It wasn't shut all the way. Grab the bottle. I should have noticed it was too warm. And of course, when I open it just off the table, the bottle explodes. Hmm. Luckily, it was champagne. It's not red wine, but oh and I, was like, I, can't, I remember being so mad at myself. I'm like, that's such a rookie mistake. This was 2016. I should have known better. I grabbed the bottle and I should have said, this bottle was too warm, you know? And I was like, I, I was kicking myself that night. I'm like, I can't believe I just made that rookie. That's such a rookie mistake. How could I not, you know, but those mistakes you learn from and they just sit with, like those mistakes just sit with me forever. Like, and I, I dwell on them a little bit. I move on. But I think when you really, like when you're working the floor and you make these mistakes with service, you know, it's okay, move on. and. 
like Julie said, right? With selling wine, I sold wine for two years with an importer distributor. And it's just like, I think part of being a good server or a good SOM or a good manager is just learning how to mentally reset. And you're like, yeah. that's embarrassing. That just happened. I just dropped two glasses. Move on. Right. Well, at the end of the day, I mean, this is a very human experience. It is behind the bottle. It, it, I mean, it is beyond the bottle and beyond the brands. Hospitality is about that one-on-one human connection, right? Um, we, we all can know all we want to know about wine. In my case, all you want to know about the cocktails. But if you don't have that human connection at the end of the day and creating that experience for your guests, it doesn't quite matter. So the fact that you go, you go for those extra steps, you're beating yourself up. You're like, what the fuck? Right. Right. Yeah. Oh my that, God. that that's who we are in this industry. Cause you know what? We care. And so bring us up to speed to today. I would love to know, because, you know, you've gone, you, you've obviously gone through um, the court of master sommelier, you know, you became a, a sommelier yourself. How do you see how wine has really changed over the years um, from when you first started and, you know, where you're at today? Oh, that's so interesting. Um, you know, I think the, I wrote an article about this. The, um, I definitely think the onset of social media has changed the wine landscape a lot. And not to say it's better or worse. It's just different. Um, but what Instagram launched in 2012, I thought like when I was starting out in 06, um, I felt like the way we learned about wine was that you got the textbooks, World Wine Atlas, Oxford Companion. You ha- I, we had our like three major textbooks. You look at hard, tangible portfolios from companies. You'd set appointments, you taste, and you kind of like do all this like back end research. And then when you would travel and go to a different city and look at a wine list, you're like, Oh my God, that's so cool. We we're pouring the same Chenin Blanc by the glass. Wow, that's crazy because we went from top, we met, we went from top funnel, but we met at the bottom funnel and we both did the work and did the processes and we met at the same place. And I think that's something I miss about where social media is great in so many ways. We know that it's like a world connector, but I feel like trends, styles, like I want to drink what she's drinking. That, that It's like, when you take that away, it's like, I really feel like we're forced to do the research, the work, and you're picking out what you like for your program. And now it's just that, that area is kind of just more mushy and not as clear, like how you got to that result. But that, that to me is just different how people make, make their decisions, right? You know, everyone can probably list like, okay, create a unicorn wine list. Everyone can create it. Okay. Create the best natural wine list. Everyone can create it just based on, you know, Googling, looking up stuff. And I miss kind of the way it would, we were all blind in that sense where you're just doing the nuts to bolts work to get to the end result. And now, I mean, but that's good and bad. And that's one thing I noticed like how different it is. And at the same time, I have people like, you know, the new, I don't know, like new Psalms coming up, like we did a lot of like physical work. Like I unpacked, this is the first time in my life I've actually had an assistant. Like um, I've unpacked like every box of wine I've sold probably for like, like 14 years. I unpacked it. I put it away. I checked it in. I moved it. I like, I did all of that like by myself. And I think like, Maybe it's been glamorized in some way, the business, but, you know, people like 
we go, like Julie knows, like we come to the work office early before eight. Then I'll work the floor sometimes at night. Like, oh my God, I want to do what you do. It's so great. And I'm like, this is fun time. This is play time. Like the hard physical work too, I think is that a lot of like new people in the industry, some do, but some don't. Yeah, I think still there's a lot that comes with being a buyer and has the experience of buying where we know there's a lot of great authorities out there that write and speak about wine and say, this is my favorite wine. I love this wine. But actually having the expertise of being a buyer in multiple states for over 10 years and knowing market prices and knowing, asking questions like, okay, what's the lowest you would pay for a good quality Chablis by the glass? Okay, what's the current market price on? And knowing that I think is just, um, I, I don't know, just like a lot, not a lost art, but having like it, that a, a consistent buying experience to really know the business behind and the numbers behind everything, I think is something that a lot of people can say, oh, I love this. I love that. And this is why I love it. Great. But really knowing the business and numbers and the logistics behind all of that and how it takes to get a bottle from a vineyard in France all the way here, I think is a little bit of a lost conversation. But we're drinking more good wine and we're drinking like Miami to me as a community is drinking so much more good wine, so much more fine inquiry. It's about, you know, inquiries about fine wine. I think that's super positive that more people are into it. So whatever it takes to get someone hooked on wine, I think is positive. So whether that's whether that's a natural wine or whether that's a classic wine or whether that's a wine someone saw in a magazine or whether that's a beer that kind of tastes like a wine. I think all these hooks are positive in the end. So, yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I think something that you said earlier that was tough for you in the service part of uh, the quartermaster sommelier, you know, the, the master service training is that people can put on their facade, right? And be like, oh, and this is da, 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 da. But you've always been so just authentic. And you talk to people that want to learn about wine and taste wine. You're talking to them as a person as like, you know, and, and you can't just kind of talk in the air when you're dealing with somebody that might not have that education. For me, like the best sommeliers are the ones that could really bring it down to earth and really understand what is that person looking for, right? It's not about what I like. It's like, well, what is your, you know, really understanding what their flavor profile is, how much they want to spend, what they're looking, and then finding that that right match. And so you've you've done it all, right? You've been front of the house, you've been back in the kitchen, and now in your where you are in your career now, you are doing more retail, right? So how has that change been for you at Vinya and just give me your give us your thoughts on on retail wine and and what makes it special and and how people should really partner with their local retailers if they want to learn more about wine or start their own wine collection because I know like you and me and and a lot of people out there we do wine for business but there's a lot of people that do wine as a hobby which I envy so much um I think that's our biggest consumer base right and and these people are so interested to just learn more, you know? So um, tell us a little about that from your perspective. You know, when I moved back here in 18, I wanted to do retail. That was my, I was meeting with people. I had a lease sign that fell through. I was physically putting my feelers and energy out there to do retail. And I was on a mission to do, come back here and do some type of retail, but retail is really hard. 
And people think the hours are more, I mean, we have long hours. We're open every day. We're 10 to 11, 10 to 10 on some days, but retail is ruthless. You know, with the birthing of e-commerce online, shipping to states and, you know, forget it. We can't compete with the national big brands that, that ship to, even though we ship to 38 states, it's, it is difficult because where you want to put your margin, mar, you know, in restaurants, we're used to talking about cost of goods. It's the opposite. Retail, you talk about margins, where you want to put your margins at, where back in the day, a retailer based on like heavy volume could live off a 25, 26% margin. Now it's like, mm-hmm. no way. You've got to be in the 30s, even high 30s. Retail, I think, is ultra competitive. You know, you talk about the Facebook ads, the Google ads. Um, with so many options, or even if I'm in Florida, right, I can go on Wine Searcher and I can look for actually a pretty high-end wine and I could hit ship to the state of Florida and 10 options will pop up. So retail, I think, is more, you don't have the food to really define you, right? Or the chef to define you. In restaurants, you have that captive audience. If you're working for a good chef, even if you're like, oh crap, I got in this this wine, you'll sell it. You'll, you, you have a captive small audience and you can work on small volume, but retail, you know, is really about numbers and volume. There's so many retail places that even opened in Miami, which is great. I think we're all helping each other, but I think it's just ruthlessly competitive and then pricing. And how do you capture the wines that are maybe restaurant only wines, but that quality, but not but you're still being true to the, the brand of a wine. So when I want to do a special offer, we do two written offers on Tuesdays and Sundays. Sundays being the more iconic wines, rare, collectible. Tuesdays always being the 20 and under. Don't think about it, just buy it. But still, you have to be conscious of, hey, is it okay if I sell this for like $10 less a bottle? I don't want the winemaker to be heard. But there's just a lot of I don't know, figure how you want to define yourself, I think is harder, right? Because restaurants, you have the cuisine behind it. Oh, we're a Mediterranean place. We're an Asian place. Retailer, like, okay, we want to be a medium-sized retailer, not the big box, not the small mom and pop, not the price latcher, the storyteller, the experiential brand. So, and you're up against retailers have been around a long time, right? The average restaurant, what, a couple of years? Like there's more transition, Mm -hmm. right? We're People will go to a new restaurant, new restaurant, and again, it's Etsy's you're getting a captive audience or retailers, you're, you know, we're competing against great people that have had the same clients for 30 years. So the long-term growth is much slower. And you got to think really long term. We're a restaurant, if you're like, we made it 10 years, awesome, great. Let's move on. But I I think it's way more competitive and way harder to to constant price checking, constant, you know, you'll get called out. People go into a store, they have their phone and they'll be like, well, this shop sells it for, first of all, where's the shop located? Go to this page. Is it actually in stock? Can you get delivered? What's the delivery fee? But you get so much more called out as a retailer, right? Being like, because people just see a number where, oh, down the street, Grey Goose, Grey Goose is $1 less. Okay, well, go buy it down the street then. Restaurants, you have the ambience. It's theater. It's the it's more of the experience. So people are less, they're more vulnerable to be mushy, mushy and, and pay the extra price and the extra, you know, they're not going to be like, 
well, I had the Branzino at this place and you're charging. There's just, there's more of the ambience and the fluff in a restaurant where people aren't as price sensitive, but in retail where people view it as less of an experience and more of a linear price, you're just more likely to get asked by people if you can't justify your price and your... So that's why we're trying to be the experiential retail. We're trying to Mm -hmm. carve out a niche where we're retail, but we're like kind of experience forward, but it's tough. It is not an easy game. And there's very few women in it. It's more, it is, it is a tough, it's a tough, tough game. Well, I'm so happy that you're in it as a fellow woman. I I stand behind you and I applaud you and your career. It has been just an amazing hour that we just spent with you. I know. I feel like like it's been two minutes. I'm not a talker. I feel like I talk way too much. No, not at all. Not at all. Oh my goodness. We've, I feel like we've only touched the tip. The surface of so many issues. And we've got, we have to have you back on because I feel like there's like certain, like we could have you back on to talk more about kind of this next phase because you're doing some incredible things. And I am just, we're so excited for you and all that you've brought. And I I think you nailed it. It's really that experience that you bring to people, right? Like that different experience where the craveable experience, that's what I call it. The like, craveable right? experience. Like, you need to, like everyone can create an experience, but even if you look at what we're doing online with events, like I want to be the leader of events and I'm not really, people think I'm so, I'm not really that competitive. I'm guess I just like to be really good at what we do, but I like, I want to be the leader of events in Miami because for so long, there was nothing here. Oh. And I don't care if I have to work 20 extra hours a week to host these events. I'm at 95% of our events. And it's like, I want to build, I believe in Miami so much as a community. I love it so much. When people, when I told people in San Francisco, I was moving back to Miami, they thought I was crazy. They're like, why are you moving? I'm like, I love it there. It's my home. I want to build, you know, and we have great new Psalms coming up, great new buyers. There's such a good pool of talent here right now. And I'm so sick of people rolling our eyes at, oh, Miami, it's not San Francisco, it's in New York, but I really want Vina to be a leader in events, experience, customer service. It takes a lot of work and we have a long way to go. But like Julie, like Julie, we said, we were a small, small dot of that in the beginning. And Mm -hmm. it makes me so excited that Miami is becoming a place where people can have these A plus experiences. Well, on that, um, Legra, we want to wish you all of the very best as you are out there kicking some ass. So congratulations on an incredible career. We can't wait to see what you do next. We're going to definitely have you back on the show. On behalf of the Served Up family, myself, just want to wish you some great health and a whole lot of peace. Cheers to you. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers.